What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here with another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Today, we are broadcasting from New York City, New York, and my esteemed guests are none other than Tyler Bryant and The Shakedown, Caleb Crosby, Graham Whitford, and of course, Tyler Bryant. Fellas, thanks for doing this. What's up, man? It's good to see you. Thanks for having us. You know, human contact is rare these days for me. I, I was a bit of a recluse before, and now I just sit up here. I don't talk to anybody, so I'm just happy to talk to other human beings about anything. So, you know, thank Absolutely. you for being here. How is like life treating you guys in uh, Nashville? I know, I know, you guys are road dogs like myself, and they're always on the road. And you know, you fight the good fight. You're out there five nights, six nights a week, slugging it out doing two-hour gigs, moving along, and then, boom, the brick wall. Yeah. What's it been like, Tyler, to, to not, not be that guy every night? Um, it's just, it's, it was very strange at first. I'm sure you probably went through a similar sh- shock period. Um, and then you figure out, well, what do I do? How do I spend my time? How can I stay creative? And so I think the first order of business uh, for us was, well, let's make a record. So we just went and pulled a bunch of stuff out of the cases. We were getting ready to go on the road, you know, like everyone was. Right. And so right. we uh, we decided to make a record, and we set up in my basement at the start of lockdown mm-hmm. and kind of we made rules, like we're not going to see anybody else, which I guess you could say we were kind of s- stretching the rules of lockdown because we were seeing each other every day. But right. it worked It worked out, and uh, no one got sick, and we made a cool record. Has everybody in your immediate family, has everybody kind of dodged the COVID um, so far? Yeah, yeah, I think everybody has, right? Yeah. Yeah. Luckily. I I, I actually have never told anybody, and nor did I plead for internet sympathy. I had it in December, and I was one of the lucky cases where, you know, I knew I had it. I've been on this kind of freakish diet where I eat two salads a day and I'm miserable, but I'm skinny and I'm miserable as opposed to being fat and miserable. And, <laughs> you know, it's the, the second word is non-negotiable. It's either skinny or fat. Anyway, and mid salad, I can't taste anything. And I go, mm. here comes the party. And I felt like I got hit by a, you know, a sack full of doorknobs a couple days in a row. And then after that, I was okay. So, but I'm I'm glad nobody's got it because you don't want anything to do with it, and and you know, but life has to go on. You Are know, you sure eating just a really bland salad. You don't want to hang with me, diet wise, man. It's a miserable <laughs> existence. Like you fellas are young and thin, and you know, like I I look at pasta and I gain five pounds. You know, it's like, oh, man. so so Caleb, you're from Kentucky, right? I am. I am. And uh, you grew up in Kentucky, and you moved to Nashville, and you went to Belmont University. That's why I moved down here. Uh, 2007, fall of 2007, started going to school, and then it was about two, two years later that I met Tyler, and then the rest is history at that point. I, I, was, I was in, you know, because you're a great rock drummer. You know, when, if I was to describe your playing, it's like you are right in there, a, you know, a great rock drummer. I was surprised to read about you that you're 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 a, a, a jazz guy. You know, yeah. you you're, you're no, in the Max Roach. You know, all the, the the heavy bebop cats. Like, how do you how do you go from that to 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 you know playing in the Shakedown, which is pretty much a straight rock gig? 
Yeah, no, for sure. It's a good question. I, I feel like, you know, I pull from those inspirations when even more in the studio, you know what I mean? I mean, obviously it's polar opposites as far as the spectrum goes, but I feel like when I first started playing, um, that's what I loved. That's the music that I loved. And I felt like it was a good foundation for me to start on. Uh, you know, obviously I don't play a ton of jazz anymore, or at least like gig it. I still play it at home, you know, some, but I feel like it was a, a good place to start for me because I feel like creatively, melodically, those sorts of things when, that you that you pull from jazz, you know, those sorts of drummers, like you mentioned, Max Roach, Elvin Jones is one of my favorites. Steve Gadd yeah. is like one of my all-time favorites. You know, those guys are also rock dudes, you know what I mean, that can play jazz and play it well. And so um, that's kind of where I started. And even when I moved here, you know, obviously I was at school and so I was doing a lot of jazz gigs as well. And then um, loved rock and roll, loved Tom Petty, loved Zeppelin, loved that kind of stuff. And so, I don't know, for me, I guess the two sort of morphed and and I feel like the, the styles um, evolved together. And, um, you know, I don't think you, you can, I feel like when you're a rock drummer to have that um, background is important. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. But, you know, the decision to become a rock drummer is, is, in my opinion, just one guy talking here, is a good one. Because I remember my first rock candy funk party gig at the Baked Potato. And, and Justin handed each of us a $100 bill to do it. And my friend goes, hey, man, you broke the fusion barrier. I go, what the hell is the fusion barrier? He goes, more than 80 bucks a man. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a great story. That's amazing. Yeah, I broke the fusion barrier. Graham, I've known you and your family for many years. You're a guitar geek like me, a great rock and roll guitar player. And, you know, I'm interested, you know, because your father, you know, obviously you come from a family musician. Your brother Harry's a great guitar player. He actually he actually made my Driving Towards the Daylight video actually watchable because everyone's like, who's the young kid playing? You know, they didn't want to see me. And, and you know, your, your, your older brother, Zach, is a photographer and shoots for your dad's band, which if nobody knows this by now, they will, Aerosmith. And your, your father is Brad Whitford. And, you know, growing up, your father being a guitar player, like, was he – like here this is this is the family business or did he let you kind of naturally gravitate towards the guitar and then you then you just took it took it from there yeah well they got me a drum set when i was three i think for christmas and you know i just started banging away on that i didn't really think anything about it it was just fun you know i love i love to play um i didn't think about where it was going to lead me or anything like that and then when I was 13, I moved to New York, and I couldn't have a drum set in my apartment anymore. No, uh, you yeah. cannot. <laughs> yeah, it was just, you know, the, the, the only thing I could do, which I did a few times, was go to, like, ultrasound rehearsal space and just get in there and bang on a drum set. But I think I only did that a couple times, and, and I just started naturally picking up the guitar. Um, so when I would, you know, when I would, uh, when I was with my dad, you know, I mean, like we were talking about it the other day, um, you know, he, he kind of showed me how to tune a guitar. Uh, mm -hmm. He showed me, I remember I was, I was probably about 12 and, and he had one of those little Fender G deck amps and with the 12 bar blues built into it. And Love, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. jam and, tracks. Exactly. Yeah. And so I remember he, we put that on and he kind of showed me you know, how to, how to work around that. And, um, 
you know, and, but I was living in New York with my mom at the time. So, you know, a lot of it was just, I learned a lot whenever I would, when I would go visit him, um, you know, during the summer or, or, uh, you know, when I had some time off from school, I would, I would like absorb a lot when I just watched him, like watching him was a lot. Uh, right. I learned a lot from just, um, visually watching him. Um, but he didn't, you know, he didn't teach me a ton and he definitely didn't like, I mean, when I was in high school getting ready to apply for colleges and stuff, he was kind of like, you know, maybe you should, you know, try and get into music business or something, you know, to have a background. And, you know, I want to know part of that. So. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like one of, them, one of them shyster lawyers that, you know, like always hang around the music business, you know, and then they then they end up selling real estate. Yeah. You know, it's, Tyler, you, you grew up in Texas and your story is pretty well known and, and it's been documented. Um, when like the thing that makes me curious, because everybody makes a conscious decision, all of us, all four of us, we made a conscious decision from going from a hobbyist, somebody's casually interested playing on the side. They go, no, I cannot live another day unless I'm involved in this. And you and you since a, since you were a kid, you yeah. you. You've parlayed this thing to where I, I was following your Instagram and like one week you're, you guys are opening up for, um, you know, uh, ACDC in a stadium somewhere in Europe. And then the next week you're opening up for Guns N' Roses. And I'm like, look at this. This is great. What was the moment that you said, I want this so bad. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to move out of Paris, Texas, and I'm going to Nashville and I'm going to follow my dream. When when did that occur? Well, so it's actually. um it wasn't long after I met you, um, which I and I'm not positive this is the first time we met because we've known each other a really long time. Long since '07, I believe it was the Steve Ray Vaughan Remembrance Ride. Okay, so that was yeah. So this was after that, I believe. It was in uh, I opened up for you at the TPAC Theater in Nashville. That's right, you did. And the something went wrong with the PA like ten minutes into the show, and so I ended up playing most of the show just with a resonator on play. And it was fun right. and like, um, but I think that was right around the time where um, it was all becoming very obvious to me that this was the path I was going to take. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was 17, I decided I was not gonna go to high school anymore. And I had saved up a little bit of money from playing blues gigs around Texas and uh, got an apartment in Nashville and convinced my parents that I wasn't gonna ask them for money and and moved to Nashville and just started trying to write songs, started looking for people to put a band together with. Caleb was the first drummer I met. Wow. Was, I kind of looked out. We've been playing together ever since. Um, but yeah, I just decided that, hey, this is all I can think about. So why not go for it? Right. You know, this is a question I want to ask everybody and, they can, and we'll start with Caleb and we'll work our way down. Do you consider Tyler Bryan and the Shakedown a rock or a blues band? Because you just mentioned, Tyler, you just mentioned blues. You were playing blues gigs, which probably more straight ahead. Caleb, would you consider your band a rock, a rock band or a blues band? Or, or is it rock and blues or blues and rock? That's kind of the question. Mm. You should answer this first. It's funny. It does depend on the day because we, Tyler and I were just writing the other day and, and we looked at each other and we were like, what kind of mood are we in? You know what I mean? It was like literally like, 
what mood are we in? Or, or, and Tyler was like, I'm not in a, in a mood to rock today. I'm in, a, I'm in a mood to play some blues. And he reached over and picked up a resonator. And, and that was the mood we were in, you know? So right. I, I think it's hard to define. I think that it's clear that our band is very uh, anchored in both. Um, and I think that we like that because we can pull from inspiration, whether it be R.L. Burnside or, you know, something as hard as like Metallica or something, you know what I mean? And, and, to, and to be able to do that and enjoy it. I, Joe, I always tell people that um, because, you know, we I grew up playing. I had a band called the Blues Buddies in Texas. And we, and we were like, that's that was like right around when I met you. And um, right. and so a lot of those people are like they listen to what the shakedown does and they're like, you turn your back on the blues, you turn your back on this. And I always say like, you know, don't worry when my, like when my knees give out, then, then we'll, you know, we'll get back. It, yeah, but it's just, I think for me, I always, and, and you've done a great job of this. It's, I think if, had we gone a little bit of a different way, there would have been great opportunities, no doubt, but it's, it's pretty cool to like get to run out in a stadium and basically Play play some rock and roll and then spoon feed spoon you know feed people muddy waters without them even realizing it you know yeah because you know like on a rare occasion I'll tour like international rock festivals like we'll do Boss Pop or we'll do you know whatever the Sweden Rock and stuff like that I go listen you know I'm a pragmatist okay I just want to do my gig and go home I don't want any fucking urine bottles being thrown at me so I hit them with the heavier shit so I'm like when you're like you know Grant when you're like out there like opening up for ACDC, you guys are obviously skewing the set away from, you know, you, you're like, we're opening up for the rock band of the ages, you know, we need to, we need to rock this, you know, it's, it's not like, well, we're just gonna, we're just gonna play it, you know, quiet tonight, you know, because you, yeah. that's, those are the back in black guys, you know, yeah. it's like, how do, how, do, how do you deal with it? We have 30, like, you know, on a lot of those ACDC shows, it was like, we had a 30 minute slot, you know, so we would, I mean, we would, we would blast through a heavy. It was it was full on thirty minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going for the throat, you know. But I think I don't know. I think when it boils down to it, I think that we're really. I mean, we have blues influences, but I feel like we're a rock band just because we're at least in our, at our current age. We we have a a lot of. Uh, we, we like to play, you know, high energy, you know, and there's a certain thing that happens. I feel like when we get on stage where we, we like to, you know, knock, kick the door in, you know what yeah. I mean? Like we like that sort of attitude of, of, uh, you know, just going, going full bore. Um, but you know, obviously like our influence is, is, uh, a lot of blues. I mean, it's also great though, to do that in a song, right. And we'll throw in for fun, some, Tollbar Blues outro where Graham steps up and takes a solo and people don't expect it, you know, to where it's like, whoa, like this is, you know, kind of out of left field, but it's a moment, you know what I mean? And so for us, it's, I feel like it's important to tip our hat to those heroes and the music that we love and still listen yeah. to, you know? Um, so I think for us, it's, it's, or even to come up all four of us forward to the front of the stage and I've got like a single drum and Tyler's on a resonator and we're off mic, you know what I mean? And it's something... Right different you know so we've talked we've talked about making a just a straight up blues ep just to kind of like shake our own roots a little bit because right. you know we especially graham and i we grew up studying you know all the same guys that you grew up studying and you know i grew up trying to just convince people to give me a ride to dallas so i could go listen to anson funderberg play you know right. and um 
I think I think one day it would be great to to make a record like that because it's such a huge part of where we come from and blues is always poking its head through our music some in one way or another. What makes a good live show for you guys? Because I know in my my band, you know, because I have, you know, I'm surrounded by people that have come out of the session world or the the TV world and you know, sometimes we get into this moment of like we're trying to make if we listen back to the the board mix, we're trying to make a finished product in yeah. the sense that oh, nobody clams, it's it's pretty safe, you know, or 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 it's it's still got the energy, but it's like you know, it's like oh, we could master this, and then yeah. all of a sudden our arms extend out and we start patting ourselves on the back. Yeah, but I think sometimes you lose the energy and it loses the connection with the crowd. What makes a good live gig for you guys? Like, you know, because I see I see those videos you post. I mean, it, it looks like you guys start. It's it's like a it's like a combination of a soccer riot and a tornado. You know, when you get up there with the drum and and you just wrote our biography. And, yeah, and you guys got like you know you actually have women at your shows, which is which is which is That's odd right. to see for me. I'm like they actually have girls at the gig. What the hell's going on? You know, I'm in the wrong business. But anyway, you know, like what makes a good gig for you? I mean. I think for us, it's just, I mean, you know, whenever you feel like everybody's firing on all cylinders and right. a lot of times um, leading up to a show, I don't, I don't ever feel like it's going to actually happen. And then all of a sudden it's like getting shot out of a cannon and there you are going, right. okay, hope I stick the landing. Um, but I think one of the things that I, that I look for as a fan of music when I go to shows is just intention. You know, it's um, from the, the way a band enters the stage, right? The very last thing that they say or play, it's it's just the intention. When you can tell that there's been thought into it, um, thought put into it, and uh, thought put into the execution, the flow. Mm -hmm. um, that's one thing that we really learned doing the ACDC and Guns N' Roses tours was that the flow had had to be there. If there was dead space, we were losing people because, like, we were essentially the plastic wrap on a CD that people have been waiting for. Like they want to rip us off and get on to the main act. So we had, we couldn't give them a chance to turn their head, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Cause yeah, that's exactly, I used to, when we used to get booked to do opening shows, you get a half, you get the proverbial half hour or 45 minutes or whatever. And I used to end early. I used to end it. I used to, if I had 45 minutes, I used to end it 40 minutes because A, if I can't prove my point in 40 minutes, what, what the hell's an extra five ain't gonna, I, I'm not swinging the audience. You know, if I'm not, if I'm opening up for Peter Frampton, I'm opening up for BB King, it doesn't matter. And it gave me an extra five minutes to sell some CDs. That's right. <laughs> and I was, I was like, I could sell CDs for an extra five minutes here, make me, you know, a couple hundred bucks, you know, which, yeah. it, it, it gets you down the road. Tell me, you know, what's it like, you know, for a band like yourselves, you know, because, you know, you do have to manage the finances, you know, and, and keep everybody on the road. And it's like a it's like you're setting up a business every town you go. I mean, you know, do you have a business manager or you guys self you guys self manage that as a, as a group? Because it is, you know, it is financially draining to tour not a lot of people realize that like whatever that says on the ticket 
that's not all going in your pockets. You're actually spending. You're you're taking a okay. shot back into a trash can full of money. That's exactly right, dude. Whenever um, whenever I moved to Nashville, I just was like, I didn't know how money worked or how that right. it took me to do things. You know, I just thought, yeah. oh, so I'm just gonna get a van and go on the road. And so it's like, oh, cool, I gotta get a van. How do I get a van? I guess I get a credit card. Okay, cool. Right. Then just put that. You know, I was not responsible at all, and I ended up owing a lot of money back for like road cases and vans and trailers and luckily we're in a we're in a, a pretty decent spot now where we have a great business manager yeah, do. and someone watching out and but uh you know but still we have to be diligent about you know the gigs that we take and especially when we go overseas it has to be budgeted and we have to look at it and it depends on who we can take and who we hire out there and wasn't you know, always we, that way though no it, it's right and so it's it's um you know, but we're, you know, I don't know. We're just lucky to do man, it, man. Our, one of our very first tours, Joe, was called the 15. No, it was the 30 by 30 tour. 30, because 30 we, for 30. We drove 30 hours round trip to Amarillo to play a 30-minute set opening for Ario Speedwagon. And that was it. And, Are, we, and we probably got 500 bucks, you know. Maybe, yeah. But you did it. We yeah. did it. And, but we did a lot of that a for years. Yeah. Um, and I and I think there's a part of me that think I know there's probably smarter ways to do it than we did it. But you you do have to take risk, you know, right. if if you want to get rewarded. And 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 we took we took a lot of risks to where it was like, cool, we're gonna do all of this touring this year, and we're not gonna have a lot to show for it, but we are gonna start building fan base. And mm -hmm. these and we're gonna and you know it's just it's the model of we go out, give it all we got go to the next city, circle back, do it again, give it all we got, hope there's more people, you know? A hundred percent. You know, Vince Gill has a great line. How do you convince other people to bet on you if you're not willing to bet on yourself? Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what you guys do time and time again. Um, give, me, give me a synopsis of what it's like to be on a major label. Because, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of people out there, they, they, they look at – they look at a, a you know a young rock band you know you know you know sign a major label and it's you know like you're they 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 look at it as like you're on easy street it's really not like that is it no no not at all not i mean close. well i mean we we luckily have really great partners right now with uh, snake farm and spine farm which is under universal right um, and they've been totally cool you know i mean they just they put out a record that we made in my basement for crying out loud, which is great. And, um, but th I think the weirdest part about having that, that major machine is, is getting an email from somebody saying, Hey, we need a video to promote this. So you put together a piece of content and then you put it up and then it gets blocked by the, by the algorithm that the labels have in place because they're so worried about people pirating the music. We could upload, if you upload more than 29 seconds of your own song, it's going to get blocked, even though it's to promote the thing, you know. So there's, there's right. some stuff that still needs to be worked out on the major label system, if you ask me. But. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, you know, I, I remember I was on Sony. The last major label I was, I was on it was in, when I was 22. And it was my first record I did with Tom Dowd and you know it was it was a great experience you know and, and I used to go down to Ma 550 Madison Avenue because it was called 550 Music and that was yeah. 550 Madison Avenue and you go into this really glitzy you know uh you know uh office building and the Louis Vuitton stores in the lobby and you're like looking around going 
who's paying for all this? And you realize you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because at your royalty rate, you know, when we got the record back and I did, we did our second and third albums independently, we, we would have had to sell two or three million records for what we made selling 40,000. Yeah. And you're going, that's the, you know, and they're like, hmm, that, that actually works out a lot better. You know, and one of the things, you know, when did you guys decide as a group to go more in-house? Because a lot of groups, you know, tend to do a very standardized structure, management, promoter, label, publicity, and it's either paid for by an hourly rate or a percentage and stuff like that. And then you then you go all, ra- all the way around the world, y- y- seemingly ruling the world, and you come back and there's a check for 1500 bucks, and you're like, uh, the electric bills do. You know, how do we do it? Yeah, exactly. And so well, how, do you, how do you manage all that? And when did you guys decide, like, okay, we're, we're taking this thing, in, 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 no, no pun intended, in, into my house and do it in my fucking basement, you know? Well, I think, you know, we, we've been this – how many record deals have we done? We've done a hand. Se- several. I mean, at least three, maybe four. I mean, I yeah. But we yet. we did a deal with Republic Records, which was the largest company that we we've, we've worked with. And you know, you it's a big, yeah, major, universal label, I think. Yeah, it's it a is, huge, yeah. huge Massive. label. But uh, but then all of a sudden, you're you're like your music is getting compared to like what Ariana Grande's music is doing on like a mathematical level, right? And, on a bean counter level. Yeah. yeah, and so it has nothing to do with your art or what you're doing, or even the people at the label's passion for you. At that point, it's it's just the sort of this is where all our money's coming from. So this is where all our focus is going. And we realized that if we would benefit more from having a smaller team of people who were there because they wanted to be there yeah. and because they liked the band. And who believe in it and and that's like basically why we are where we are right now is because we made a record just on our own and then essentially shopped it and this place was like we love this we want to put it out and so that's what kind of started the relationship of where we are now but a funny story to his point we were in new york i remember we were playing and we showed up at Republic, they had us scheduled for like an afternoon, like hang with the label and we were gonna play a couple songs and like we had all this gear shipped over there and it was like, oh, actually we're pushing you guys three hours because Ariana's stopping by, Ariana Grande's stopping by. So, and it was like, we were a total afterthought. You Dude, know? and get this, get this. We were the first band to ever play full band in Republic You Records. should tell that story. Can you believe this? So we went to do a showcase at Republic Records, this big record label, and uh, you know we we're like, well, if we're gonna do it, then let's do it. So we got a PA, got a bunch of amps from SIR delivered, and right. then we let all the gear up in the elevator, and the building couldn't get clearance. Yeah, couldn't get. So SIR, we showed up to sound check, and all the gear was in the lobby downstairs, and the and the the rental company SIR. We can't get clearance from the building to take all the stuff upstairs, and we were like, "Well, what do you mean? Our soundtrack's like right now. We're supposed to play in thirty minutes." Yeah, they thought they thought it was going to be acoustic, which it was clearly acoustic, never going to be. Actually, acoustic with a laptop is what they thought. Yeah, so it was that was an interesting time for the shakedown. We made we made a really cool record. Half of it's still sitting on a shelf somewhere, which is another frustration that you that right. you get with that sort of thing. And well, and I think that's that's interesting. You know, Grant, I remember talking to you a couple of years ago. And you were frustrated in the fact that you guys were kind of, you were still on this major label and you guys, you know, you were getting the classic major label. Well, let's just put you on the shelf for a minute and see what happens. 
and they're not paying you. They're not, you know, you can't, you can't gig. You got, you know, you're in this brackish water, you know, and that, you know, when you were telling me that, I was like, oh, geez, you know, because like, you know, I've seen this situation before and it, and it, it literally is a momentum killer and it's a band killer. I'm like, you know, the fact that you guys stuck it out, what was that like, you know, for that, that, that year of inactivity that mm-hmm. you, you were, you, it, it, you know, where you're just like on shit, we can't even go out and play. Oh man. Well, we, but this is the messed up part, Joe, is we did go out and play and we were doing a world tour with ACDC during this time. And right. so I was going, how, how do we not have one piece of press when you guys pay publicists this much money to come out and we're playing Madison Square Garden tomorrow. Why don't we, let's talk about it. Let's do, do something. Let's go to a radio station. But we just realized that we were kind of, that wasn't a spot for us. And I mean, yeah, we had, we had like a moment where, um, you know, some Cumulus stations picked up one of our songs and, and we were starting to see one of our songs climb up the rock charts. It was in and the top 20. And yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it got up to like 19. And so then this is when we were on Republic. And, and so things were looking good. And then all of the <laughs> Cumulus stations disbanded. The, they got sold to a different company or something, and literally in one day, the song was gone. It was and like so gone. I think at that point, you know, with a lot of labels like that, when they when they don't see the return, they don't see it immediately like working. It's like, okay, well, what's next? You know? Yeah. So you're kind of a small fish in a big pond in, in that, especially with a rock and roll band, you know? Yeah. So we we ended up doing a licensing deal with. Uh, Spine Farm, um, mm-hmm. and the people there were we had we had known them um, kind of just we met them sort of when we started going to the UK for the first time and and just became really good friends and whenever we were we actually made a record without them because you know you and I were talking about this on the phone the other night we we just love to record it's like a a huge passion we're right pretty much we get together every day and hang out and make songs. And uh, some of these songs were finding their way in their ways into like television shows and stuff. And we were getting paid going, why are we spending so much money to go here and do a record or to do this when these sort of things are finding a home, you know, and you're and you can own a little bit more of it or all of it. All of it. Yeah, exactly. And um so we we just kind of took some of that into into account whenever we were. Now that you guys are not you know now that you guys are seasoned veterans, all pushing thirty if not over thirty at this point. Wait till you get the four in the first number, kids. You'll, <laughs> you get the backache and then everything hurts. Anyway, what advice would you give yourself? What advice would you give a twenty-year-old self? Caleb, we'll start with you. Like about just just about what you've been through in the last decade, music business, everything. What advice would you give a young Caleb Crosby from a slightly older one? Yeah, um, I, I was going to say this earlier, but I'll put this in uh, in this question because I feel like it, it fits. Um, I think when we Tyler and I, especially when we first started, it wasn't about money. You know what I mean? It was about just playing. You know, now it's only about money. Well, well, (laughs) I mean, dude, I mean, it's got, it's kind of got to be to some degree. Right. Um, but, uh, I think, I think that was good for us. Right. Because we were kids, you know what I mean? And I feel like for us, it was, it was all about the creativity. It was all about the, 
what we shared on stage, what we shared with the people while we were on stage. You know what I mean? And sometimes, you know, I think now as you get older and as you endure this business and you, you put your head down and you just trudge forward, sometimes you lose sight of that a little bit. You know what I mean? So I would tell myself not, not to, you know, be the older version. You know what I mean? To, to keep pushing and keep kind of going on that trajectory because I think that's what it's about ultimately. And, and obviously it's still about that for us because it is about that um, connection. And, and even like when we get together, the three of us, like we did the other day and we finish the song and we look at each other like, man, this is, this is why we do what we do. You know what I mean? This is, this is why it's fun. Um, but I would say that, I mean, just to take that aspect out of it and just go like, do you love this for the fact, sheer fact of just loving being on stage and playing music? And I think that that's what it was all about and clearly still about but like you said, and we've all mentioned, like, you know, there's there's things that obviously as you get older, there's bills to pay and things like that. So it's harder to keep that framework, you know what I mean, as you um, kind of go through this business, you know. Would, would, would you would you get in the van and drive 30 hours to give uh, to open up for REO Speedwagon uh, in Amarillo tonight? No. Like, hey, guys, we got this. We got this gig. I wouldn't do that tonight, but I also bucks. I, I wouldn't do that tonight, but I don't regret doing any of that, you know? Like, there's a certain, like, in the early stages of a band, I think you kind of have to do some of that to earn your stripes, to to learn, you know? I mean, I think my advice would be just to, to make decisions a little bit more carefully. We were never careless, but, um, you know, we did, we did um, learn a few lessons the hard way. Yeah. And... Everybody does, you know, which everybody, everybody does. So I'd, I wouldn't really change, change much, but, um, I would, I would say we should have wrote a bunch of shitty pop songs and made a bunch of, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know. I think Tyler's right though. I think, you know, just whether it be financial or, you know, decisions on, you know, we were really excited when the major label deal even came forward and we waited after our, um, uh, Think the what do you call it when you do the uh, showcase? Sorry, the the showcase for the label. Um, it was probably nine months later, and and we were all just kind of hanging on, waiting, and and it was just like go 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 because we didn't know anything else. And you know maybe now with the heads that we have and the brains that we have, and knowing it probably would have been a different scenario. You know what I mean? So right. making those more diligent decisions, um, you know, kind of in those moments, maybe just to you know to look back on one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give myself if I could talk to a younger me would be don't ever tour in a Winnebago. No, those are not, the, you're going to overheat eventually, if yeah. not in the first trip. Yeah, definitely. We did that. We did that. We took a Winnebago to Canada one, one winter and the roof ended up blowing off of it. So anyway. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I tell you what, you know, the ones that you're always going to get the ones that like as your career goes down the line and I get this all the time. It's like, you know, the ones with the righteous indignation. You've changed, man. It used to be about the music, you know, and I remember when you were playing for eight dollars. I'm like, right. I said, but you're a fucking dentist and you have an S-Class Mercedes in your driveway, and I don't see a sign out of your dental office that says free root canals. So, you know, like everybody, everybody, everybody gets some responsibility as we go along here, you know what I mean? And life, life happens, and you have, you have a fiduciary responsibility, not only to yourself, but to your family, you know, because it's easy, 
it's easy when people like look at art as it's supposed to be free and it's everything else, but but they look at it through the lens of you know a successful business or or something that they're they they're doing and they get paid regardless. I'd like to talk to you guys about. I read something that that I didn't know, and kind of shocked me a little bit. There was an incident in 2013 where there was a there was a like an intruder in Caleb's room. Is this true? Like, oh, yeah. and like, did you guys ever figure out like like Caleb or Tyler? Tell the story about what 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 happened. Uh, I'll I'll start it off, and then yeah, sure. then I think only Caleb can tell the back part. But we uh we were on the road. We just played this little joint in Indianapolis called the Rathskeller, and it oh, was Rathskeller. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, and it was the night of the Indy 500, and we we finished our set, and then we went and did like inside a, or outside because they had that outside you, outside like the beer garden. Yeah. Yeah. We, beer garden, right? That's we a great went inside after we played outside, just because they, the, I think the the owner was like, we finished the gig, and they were like, hey, if you come inside and play on the small stage inside, we'll pay you an extra like whatever it was, and we were like, yeah, screw it, like we'll do it, sure. So like, we, let's rock, part yeah. zone. So we get, we get to this hotel, we were staying at a Ramada, and it was, there's actually a really funny cartoon that just got released about this, and uh, it, this whole story is animated, and it's, it's a fun, it's it a fun, fun watch, but um, so Caleb and I are sharing a room, as we do on the road, and yeah. uh, just trying to save, save dollar bills on hotel right. costs and stuff, and Graham is in another room, and our tour manager at the time was staying in the room as well. And he, he um, couldn't sleep without taking Ambien. So he had taken an Ambien. He's on like a roll away or something. And, yeah, and is asleep on a roll away in the corner. And like, I, I was having an argument with someone on the phone and, and walked out of the room and was pacing the halls. And kind of the conversation wasn't going anywhere. And then I was like, you know what, I'm going back to the room. And I see the door is not shut all the way. And I thought that the, that the door was shut, but it wasn't. And then I left like the latch. Yeah, yeah. You put the latch out thinking, oh, I'll be on the phone for 10 minutes. And so was on the phone for everybody two does that. Everybody. Yeah. And you uh, go out and get ice or whatever, you know, whatever the hell. Yeah. And so then I, I kind of like push the door open a little bit and I see a bag, this green bag that I don't recognize. And I push it open a little further and then this guy just comes at me. And he's got his hands out like all zombified and. You like saw eyes coming from like the dark. Yeah, so I room. he he was he was hovered over Caleb while Caleb was sleeping, and so I just I started screaming all sorts of things, and what, I'm simultaneously screaming at Caleb, going, "Caleb, are you alive? Yeah. Chase, are you alive?" Meanwhile, Chase is like zonked out on Ambien. And so, right. so so I'll take over now. So I I wake up, you know, freaked out, like because Tyler is losing his mind. And he has the guy like by the collar up against the wall yelling at him, like, you know, what did you do? You know, like saying a bunch of other things I shouldn't say. And I'm, tr I'm trying to figure out what's, what's going on because we, you know, keep in mind, we've been on the road for a while. We were tired. You know what I mean? I was out. You know, we played two sets, you know. And so I'm like, then I realized, oh, someone broke into our room. So I start looking at all my stuff and making sure that nothing was stolen. Everything was there. Then I start going, wait, what did what did he do to me? What, what did he, you know what I mean? I was like, I was asleep. Right. So then I started freaking out. The first thing I yelled when I saw him was, it was, I didn't know, uh, this is honestly what I thought was going down, but I just started screaming, rape, rape. I was hoping that somebody else would come and help me. 
you know, or one of somebody would wake up. But yeah, it was creepy, man. Yeah. So I think ultimately what we d- thought happened because we still aren't sure because essentially that guy ran out. Tyler ran Did over. Take the bag? Yeah, I think he grabbed the bag and was gone. And Tyler ran over to me like, hey, and of course, Tyler was checking his stuff, too, to make sure it was all there. And we were just trying, hey, you good? Are you good? Yeah, everybody's fine. And then by the time we, you know, the shock went away, we couldn't find the guy. So probably it was like just some drunk dude that and but the uh, the weirdest part of the story um, is that. Tyler was like, what are you doing? And he was like, I, he said, like, I was just making sure the boys were okay. Wow. That's insane. It was like, you know, Tyler's screaming at him and then he disappears. And like, we hear nothing about it. We call the front desk and did you uh, uh, burst a blood vessel in your eye? Yeah. (laughs) From screaming so loud. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, like what, what would you, what do you do? Mode at that point, you know, I'm sure the stay was complimentary. Yes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we actually got a few extra, you know, Ramada stays on the I think we tour did, as well. Yeah. Yes, so. if you sign here and, and agree not to sue us for everything we're we're worth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the that's the thing about the road. It, it it is you know I've had a few crazy people show up. You know, I'm I'm like a I'm like an E or an F list celebrity. Okay, I mean you know the great grand dog of Lassie. Is ranked higher on the celebrity list than I am. Okay. Where does that put us, Joe? Are we like P or? You guys are way. You guys got way more recognition than Bana. Who? I even got my plates that say Bana. Who? Anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as enough people come. Uh, I actually had to go. You know, because I was always. You know, they always float around like, "Hey, you should you should have a guy." Who's, I, 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 and there's no there's 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 nothing happening at a blues rock show. It's very tame. You know, but there has been a few instances where through multiple levels of card security and everything like that at a hotel, people end up at your front door. And, you know, and if you somehow you mistake, you know, you never can tell the ones that are just crazy or the ones that, with bad intentions. You know, like I had somebody show up at my gate uh, uh, the other day. I wasn't there, but I can see on the camera because they're ringing the doorbell. Woman dressed in her finest pajamas in the middle of the afternoon going, I have a parcel for Joe. I have a, you know, like, you know, what the hell is this? You know? So it is, it is, it's, it's, it's a, it's a pretty rough and ready, you know, business that, that we get in because you are very, you're very, you know, you're, you're very recognizable, especially in the marketplace at, on the day of the show, you know, you know, you peak advertising, you know, and, it's it's I'm, I'm glad everybody's okay because that freaked me out when i read about that but i do not want to see the cartoon i think that i think that there's like you know and i know that you really appreciate your fans and it's, you know we love we love our fans and i don't know that that guy was a fan or or not but you know there's most people just want to come to the show maybe say hello maybe get an autograph right. um, and go home you know but there's there's occasionally like somebody that that wants to hang out until you leave and is going to make sure that they're in the way of you leaving or you know like we've i had someone show up at my house one time and and that's sort of like where it feels like okay cool yeah i would i'll happily sign your cds until my hand hurts but but dude don't come to my house (laughs) you know that's because you don't want to leave your house because they 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 may come back and then break into the window you know what i mean it's like 
it's yeah. it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. I, you know, I have a, I have the other personality, the guy in the suit and the sunglasses. You know, and there's been many a meet and greets where I walk I I walk out like this. You know, I'm not suiting yeah. up at four five thirty wherever, and um and and the first the first people in line, I'm just standing there, and my tour manager's there, and Courtney runs the line, and and they're just look, looking at me like like silent. I'm like, hello, how you doing? And they're like, um, when's Joe coming out here? And I'm like, hello. Yeah. But that's that's a purpose, you know, purpose built machine. Guys, you know, I have the utmost respect for what you do, and you know, not many, not many bands, you know, it, it, a lot of what you do and the stories that you tell remind me of those those days of of slugging it out and 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 you know, ultimately. You know, getting where you want to be, and you know, I'm, I'm just saying, knowing you guys for a long time, I'm really proud of you, and I'm really proud of what you've achieved, and you know, it, and the intestinal fortitude that it takes, I think, is underestimated by a lot of people in both the public and 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 the music business. You know, unless, like you said, you know, if you're Ariana Grande, and it's just it's just meteoric rise, but okay, there's only one of her. You know, what happens if you got to work for it? You know, do you have the do you have the stones to, to stay in? But but thanks for being here and thanks for uh, you know your friendship and and by the way, Tyler, thanks. You were the first person to reach out to me on Christmas Day, right? I get a text from Tyler at like I don't know, it, it's like five o'clock in the morning in California, and he's like, "Hey, is your house okay?" I'm like, uh, "Merry yeah, Christmas." You wrote <laughs> Why? What happened? <laughs> what happened? Yeah, and, and oh, because 2020 wasn't fucked up enough. They're just just as a maraschino cherry on top of this grand Sunday. It's the suicide bomber guy. I think that guy I had a bad Winnebago tour and was just like, I can't anymore. But <laughs> between your tour of Canada and and the suicide bombing in Nashville, this is not a good advertisement for Winnebagos. It's a losing proposition. <laughs> But uh, thanks for being here. And uh, uh, just to wrap up, what are your plans going forward as far as getting back on the road? Are, you, are they telling you anything? Are you or like me in the holding pattern? We're in a holding pattern. We've we've looked at a few dates. We've confirmed a few dates, and you right, know, right. it's, it's uh, we're kind of waiting to see if, if those actually come through. But uh, you know, our, I think our plan going forward is, you know, like like we talked about, maybe making a, a blues project is something that we've been writing for and then and and then maybe following that up with just all you know all guns blazing yeah I, have you have you thought about the truncated model like doing you know who would have thought driving movie theaters would be like the hot ticket you know you know have you thought about doing like these wacky socially distanced things we did, or? We did one um in murfreesboro tennessee right. you know, i never thought i would be excited about a show in murfreesboro right. and it was like we get to play, yes, and it was it was cool, you know. It, it was, was it was definitely bizarre, obviously, because you right. have the, within the confines of it being safe, and it was you know metal bars everywhere, and it felt a bit like corralled farm animals that people mm -hmm. were like in these boxes. And but we got to play in 2020, you know, it was our only show of 2020, right. and it was you know we got to celebrate that. But beats playing in front of a camera, you yeah, know, for sure. It definitely does. I mean, I mean, and, and you know, it is weird because. You guys are definitely a crowd participation kind of act. You 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 draw a lot of energy off the crowd and the crowd.
crowd draws a lot of energy off of you and it's kind of part of the show as opposed to just, you know, and when we did our rhyme and live stream, it was like we had cardboard cutouts of all the people bought into that. And, you know, we made a nice donation to charity and it was great. And a lot of people were very generous. So it, and, and it was, you, if you just squinted a little bit, you go, wow, it's, we're, we're doing it. We're actually playing again. You like start tearing up and then the song ends and it's like, and then all all you hear is are the footsteps of the text bringing stuff out. You're like, this is too weird for me. But uh, did anyway, ever, uh, did you ever see that box that Jeff Beck used to have on stage where he would finish a song and it was a little noise box and he would just hit a button and it would be people clapping or nice, nice. I haven't seen that. But, uh, especially with our our model currently. Yeah, piped in applause. You know, yeah. like a laugh track. You know, yeah. during intros and yeah. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, guys, thanks for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown. Best of luck for 2021. You guys are awesome.